Seek podcast. We are so glad you're here. I'm Erin Scanlon, your host for this season. Each week, we're sharing content that dives into the heart of the gospel, who God is, who we are, and what it means to live in relationship with Him. We're excited to walk with you as you encounter the Lord. In this episode, Hillary Drafts dives into the question, why do we need the church? The Bible reveals there's a close connection between Christ and His church. But what is this connection? This episode explains why Christ gave us the church, its importance in our spiritual lives, and our role in Christ's kingdom. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I had, in many ways, a very stereotypical American upbringing. So I'm the younger of two children, and there were so many two-child families around me in my suburban Denver youth that I, in, for a while when I was very little, thought that everybody had exactly one sibling. Um, until I went to college and I met the first big Catholic family that I ever knew, the Wagner family. And the Wagner family, there was just something attractive about them. I went to college with a brother and a sister out of six kids in this family. And they had creative, rambunctious adventures as kids. And they would tell these stories to those of us who were their friends. And they had a lot of love in their home. And they had a lot of messiness in their home and a lot of forgiveness. And it was, it was such a beautiful thing for me to encounter these two siblings. And after my freshman year, I got to go over to the Wagner family home for the first time. And I realized that it's not only in the fun and the joy, but also in the messiness that shaped my two friends into the amazing people that they were. And then many years later, I married into a big Catholic family. So my husband is one of eight, actually four of them are Huskers, if you want to know. Um, he's one of eight siblings. And now for 10 years that I've been a draft, I've had the opportunity to, I've had the opportunity to uh, learn firsthand that the reason big Catholic families can make you amazing people is that they will drive you insane and drive each other insane. Um, this really struck home for me when I traveled a couple of years ago to Luxembourg in Europe with my husband and his entire family. And I was the only in-law who got to go. It was um, my mother-in-law, father-in-law, and all eight siblings from the drafts family. And let me tell you that you learn a lot about people when you are cramped in an Airbnb in Europe with them for five days. And one of the key things that I learned was that Everything that irritates me about my amazing husband, he actually learned all these things from his family. So it was, it was a wild five days. And I actually just uh, got to have dinner with two of my brothers-in-law who still live in Lincoln. And uh, it was just such a joy to reminisce about that trip with them. Because it is precisely in the messiness that our bonds deepen and we are changed by unconditional love. I mentioned that my husband and I have been married for over 10 years. And uh, so far, despite our deep desires, we've been unable to have children. And I can promise you, we were not sad about having a quiet, clean home. And we were not sad about getting to sleep through the night whenever we wanted. But we wanted in to this big, messy family thing. 
So last spring, we began to foster to adopt a group of siblings who've been in foster care for about two years. And I can tell you that it is beautiful and it is completely insane. Uh, has anyone seen that movie, Instant Family? Yeah, going from zero kids to many kids all at once. It is no joke, guys. Parenting is not for whims. Um, but the joy is amazing. Uh, two nights ago, we got to watch the first night of Seek with our kiddos. And uh, it was just full of beautiful moments, including our youngest kind of crawled up on the couch with me at one point during Bishop Barron's talk. And she like buried her head in my arms and she said, it's confusing. <laughs> <laughs> and we could all relate to that at a couple points, right? And then Sister Miriam's question rang in my mind. How did I get here? How has the Lord been so generous with me? Um, today, I video chatted with, with the family back home, and it's the first time, this trip is the first time I've been away overnight from our kiddos. And uh, one of the kid girls had made a sign for me that said, good luck, mom, on your talk. And I just, it, it's just beautiful. Life is beautiful because families shape us. I am learning so much. I desired to be a parent to give love away, and I had no idea just how much the big, messy family life would transform me. Last night, Dr. Sri walked us through salvation. Why did Jesus come to earth? Why was his suffering necessary? And we knew that he came to save us from hell and from sin, but now we also know that he came to save us for something even more amazing, for transformation into his own likeness. And that transformation doesn't happen on our own. Our salvation is personal, deeply personal, but it is not individualistic. The good news, the gospel is not just about what Jesus did for each one of us. It's that he came to save us in the context of a family. He saves us precisely by incorporating us into something so much bigger than ourselves. It is the very messiness of the church, this big, messy Catholic family that we get to be a part of. That is where we are shaped, where we are transformed and made holy. Like I saw with the Wagner family back in college and like I'm experiencing now in my own family, this communion shapes who we are. But the church doesn't always feel like a family, right? Or maybe it feels like you're a dysfunctional family. There's all kinds of obstacles around us to seeing the church as a family. We sometimes see scandal in the members of the church around us. We have wounds in our own family experience that can make that difficult for us. Even what the church asks of us is hard sometimes. And all of this can lead many people to say, why can't I just be spiritual? Why can't I just accept the salvation of Christ without buying into this whole organized religion thing? It can be tempting to think that we're better off without the church and without the messiness. But it's important for us to know that like Jesus himself, the church is both human and divine. And if we can have the eyes of faith to see through the messiness and the brokenness of the humanity that we see around us in the church, sometimes the broken humanity, see through to the divinity of the church that Jesus himself founded and intended for us from the beginning of time, then we too can drink deeply of the graces of this communion. So I want to propose for us tonight three reasons why we should see the church as integral to following Christ. Those three reasons are that God intended the church from the very beginning of all humanity. Secondly, that it is where we actually receive the power to follow Christ and become more like him. 
And finally, that we were literally made for this. Since the creation of Adam and Eve that we can read in the book of Genesis, God has been shaping his people into a family. We see it with Adam and Eve as a couple, and then Noah's family is bigger. And then we see tribes of families with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses leads the 12 tribes of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. And there God creates out of them a kingdom of families. And how is the kingdom shaped? Well, even that looks an awful lot like a family. We see a father figure in the kingdom of David in the Old Testament. This father figure is called the Albait. He's essentially a steward or a prime minister. And so he's not the king. David is the king and his descendants. But the Albait has the fully vested authority of the king. But listen to what God says about the authority of the Albait. In Isaiah chapter 22, he's speaking about a specific Albait, Eliakim. And he says this, He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. So the Albait, the steward, first and foremost, God wants us to know about him that he is a father. And also he has the fully vested authority of the king to shut and open and no one can contradict his word. Now, Jesus was a well-formed Jewish man and he knew this scripture from Isaiah 22. And Jesus stands firmly in that tradition when he is speaking to Peter in a passage we've looked at a lot this weekend, Matthew chapter 16. After Peter makes his confession of faith, Lord, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, I will build my church on this rock, Peter. And this is what he says to Peter. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So like the Albait, Peter has the keys as a symbol of his authority. Now, Jesus is the king in the New Testament kingdom, and yet he gives his authority to the steward, Peter, which is why Peter is also a father figure. Remember from Isaiah 22. And that is why we call the successors of Peter the Pope, which actually means father. In Italian, it's even il papa. We know that word in English, papa. And that is very important to remember if you travel to Italy. I had a friend in college who studied abroad. And as soon as she got off the plane, she finds herself in a bar near the Vatican trying to toast the Pope. And she says, viva il Pope, viva il Pope. And the Italians are looking at her like, what is she saying? Because remember, il papa means pope. Turns out il pope means boob. (laughs) Watch out for that one if you're traveling in Italy. So we have a father figure in the new covenant family of God, the church. We also have a mother figure in the ancient kingdom of David. This was called the Gabira the Gabira. And she wasn't the wife of the king. Ancient kings sometimes had many wives. She was the mother of the king. And we see this most clearly in the first book of Kings chapter two with Bathsheba, the mother of King Solomon. There's a man named Adonijah who desires to ask King Solomon for something, but he doesn't bring his request straight to Solomon. He brings his request to Bathsheba and she receives him warmly. And then she brings his request to King Solomon and advocates for Adonijah. And we too, in the new covenant, have a mother figure who intercedes for us. She is the mother of our King Jesus. And we see that her, she is a queen in Revelation chapter 12. When the woman is about to give birth to the son who will rule the nations with a rod of iron, that's Jesus. And that woman wears a crown of 12 stars on her head. 
And our mother too, Mary, the Blessed Virgin, Mother of Jesus, she makes intercession for us and receives us with warmth. Um, I was a little nervous before this talk. And so um, I've actually gotten the habit since I became a mom of texting my mom when I need prayers and the warmth with which my mom received me and the prayers that she is offering for me right now for this talk. Um, that's the kind of motherhood that our, our lady has for us. She loves us tenderly as a good mother does. And we can see in the unity and the harmony of scripture, looking at these Old Testament passages and the New Testament connections with them, we can see that this has always been God's plan for all eternity to give us the church. And the crescendo of Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection, and the, the giving to us of the church is beautiful. And I hope that when we look at the Bible, we marvel. It could only have been written by God, this book. It was written over thousands of years by so many different human authors. And yet these themes, they repeat to reveal in the fullness of revelation, the plan of God for us. So God has always had the plan of the church from all eternity. Secondly, we should see the church as integral to following Jesus because this is where we receive the actual power to be like Christ. All of these moments we've talked about in salvation history are times when God was bonding the people to himself through covenants. So what is a covenant? It's kind of like a contract, but a contract is an exchange of goods or services. I give you that, you give me this. A covenant is an exchange of persons. It's me saying, I give myself to you and someone else saying, I give myself to you. That is how God bound the people to himself. And I'm living this in my family right now. First and foremost with my husband, for over 10 years, we have belonged to one another because of the vows we made before the altar of God on our wedding day. And soon our adoption will be final. And then we will have made a covenant with our children. Right now, as their foster parents, we are giving them love and care. But the day that we are in that courtroom and they become ours legally, there will be a permanent bond that creates a family because people in covenants belong to one another. God bonds himself to us first through the covenant of our baptism. I like to tell my kids and others, friends that I have who have been adopted, that the most important thing about me and every Christian that I know is that I too am adopted. Now, I was blessed to be raised by the same amazing people who gave birth to me. But the day of my baptism, when God the Father Almighty adopted me as his child, my identity changed. The core of who I am changed. Now, in our baptism, we are not like Tony Stark, who already had all of the intelligence to become Iron Man. And he builds this great suit and he puts it on and he can do amazing things. And when he takes the suit off, he's basically the same person. Now, in our baptism, we are more like Steve Rogers, who has the super soldier serum injected straight into his veins. And from that time on, he cannot go back to the old Steve Rogers that he was. He is physiologically changed into Captain America. And we are ontologically changed into children of our father at our moment of baptism. And through that adoption into God's family, we have an inheritance. And that inheritance is the very life of God, which is given to us primarily in the concrete graces of the sacraments. It's so easy for us to sometimes think that we're incapable of living holiness. And so Jesus came to earth to live perfect holiness so that we wouldn't have to. And that's not true at all. Jesus came to earth and lived perfect holiness precisely so that we could. He is giving us his own life so that he can live his life anew in each of us, that we become like Christ in our baptism and we can't go back.
This reality is renewed in the other sacraments as well. This language of covenant shows up again when Jesus at the Last Supper says, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Blood bonds form families. Covenants form families. In confirmation, we receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit in a deepening of that covenant. And every time we receive Holy Communion or go to confession and receive God's reconciling grace, we are renewed in that likeness of Christ and deepened in it. Because through God's family, the church, we receive an inheritance as his children. And that inheritance is the power to become more like Christ. So God's plan for all eternity was to give us the church. It is where we receive the power to become like Christ. And finally, my friends, we were made for this. Psychologists like Brene Brown tell us that belonging is a fundamental human need. All of us long to belong to something outside of ourselves. And this very desire itself comes from God. God himself is a communion of persons, a communion of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he created us freely in his own image. So we too have a desire to belong in a communion like God is. And specifically to belong to the very communion of the Holy Trinity. That is what he made us for. So when we desire communion, we desire to belong to someone, to a communion of someone's. This is stamped into the very fabric of who we are. And we participate in God, in his inner life, precisely through his family, the church. And real belonging like this, it's demanding because it doesn't happen on my terms, right? If I belong to something outside of myself, that means I didn't create it and therefore I can't control it. And as modern people, we are used to thinking we have a pseudo control over the world around us. Through the intermediary of technology, we can control what we put out there on social media, the image of ourselves. We can control communications we receive from other people with our smartphone filters. But real belonging is risky because I actually have to open myself up to another person, ultimately to God. But real belonging is also worth it. And my friends, I believe that we need this truth about our belonging in God's family today more than ever. For years, we have been gradually isolating ourselves through the medium of technology. And in the last 12 months, the pandemic has forced on us a more abrupt and clear isolation than we were living before. And for some of us, that's been a wake-up call. Unfortunately, we're seeing depression and suicide statistics on the rise in our country. I recently read a survey that is administered every year, the same questions, and they ask uh, young adults, have you contemplated suicide in the last 30 days? And in 2018, 10% of young adults said yes to that question. In 2020, during the pandemic, 25% of young adults, two and a half times as many people said that they have contemplated suicide in the last 30 days. My friends, we were not made for isolation. But for many of us, the, the isolation of the pandemic has only tricked us into thinking that the deeper desires of our hearts can actually be satisfied with nothing but Grubhub and Netflix every night. My friends, it cannot. Do not let the circumstances of our world lie to you about who you are. You were made for God. You were made for relationship. You were made to belong to the communion of his family in the church. The belonging that we long for happens in and through the church. 
where we will someday get to spend eternity shoulder to shoulder with men and women of whom the world was not worthy, the saints. To belong to that communion is our destiny. Do not let fear or selfishness keep you from becoming who you were meant to be. Saying yes to Christ means saying yes to his church because he has always planned this gift for us from all eternity. Because through it, we have the power to become like him because this is how we become who we were meant to be. And as St. Catherine of Siena famously said, become who you were meant to be and you will set the world on fire. Thanks for listening, friends. To hear more content from speakers like this, join us for Seek 23 in St. Louis, January the 2nd through the 6th. Visit seek.focus.org to learn more.